Before this podcast, we would like to give a massive thanks to Keith at KMR Audio, who has provided us with all the equipment we have needed to launch our podcast. Keith has hooked us up with some premium equipment, and if you're in the market yourself for some high-end audio recording equipment, then head over to kmraudio.com. The bows are shown. The bows are shown. The bows are shown. Hello, and welcome to the Bull Sessions, a podcast where we delve into the lives and stories of successful millennials. My name's Henry Martin, and today I'm joined by Tom West. Good afternoon. And Ross Jeffries. Hello, Henry. For session number six, we are hugely excited to be joined by Lindsay Noakes, co founder of Gather. Lindsay, thank you very much for coming. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm really well, thanks. Good. So, I think a good place to start, Lindsay, would be if it's possible to give us a brief overview of of what Gather is, what Gather does. Uh, Yeah, of course. So Gather is a charity. Um, We bring people and data together to solve the urban sanitation crisis. So there's 3 billion people currently who live in cities who don't have access to a proper toilet. Um, We think that data is really key to overcoming that challenge and getting toilets to people who need them. So Simple. So, I mean, I think we'll... We want to get onto that in detail at some point, but first, can we get to know you a bit better? So, Please. what was your kind of path to get there? Because it, it seems like quite a special thing to get into. Yeah, uh, and I am <laughs> basically totally unqualified to be doing it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I before well, um, I started this with my colleague John. We were asked to lead a research project by a philanthropist who is now one of our trustees. Um, he's had a huge amount of experience investing in different sanitation projects, different charities all around the world, and he was saying the same, seeing the same problems again of not quite achieving enough scale, not quite having the impact that he hoped that they would, and he wanted to find out why this was. So he asked John and me, who we'd never met at that point, but he thought that we would be a good pairing, and he asked us to look into it. So um, I quit my job and thought because I thought it sounded like a really really cool experience and uh yeah we started in January 2016 and have been going for just a bit over two years now but before I did it had no background in sanitation none in data at all it's all just very much been learning on the job had it been something that you'd really sort of been interested prior to being offered the opportunity or was it something that you weren't even quite aware of uh I think yeah not really well I was a trustee for a sanitation charity before I did this, so that's how I got to know the philanthropist who asked me to do it. Um, I'd never worked in sanitation before. I'd worked a lot in international development. That was my background. I did my master's in conflict studies as well, so um, I understood the sector, but sanitation wasn't something I'd ever looked at before, and data, I'm still learning the basics. So <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's definitely been quite a steep learning curve for me on both counts really. And what was your previous job? So what were you doing before? I was working for a charity in northwest London that was looking at social mobility, Mm -hmm. so getting people from disadvantaged backgrounds into really cool grad schemes and other jobs. Um, And I was looking at their impact assessment. So so. kind of charity work and that sort of thing's always been an interest? Yes, definitely, yeah. I've always worked for charities kind of well, I ran my own small business doing a tutoring company mm-hmm. for a couple of years. Um, that was kind of to fund my master's and internships I was doing as well. 
Um, but yeah, it's pretty much always been, charities has been what I've always wanted to do. Was it an immediate yes when you got offered the role or was there some sort of thought process, whether it was worth giving up the current job or was it, did it just sort of ignite that fire in you and you thought, yeah, I'm going to have to do it, otherwise I'll regret it? Um, I wouldn't say it was a, it was a straightaway yes. <laughs> I actually had uh, flights booked to go on a big to go traveling so I was meant to be doing that meant to be leaving in May 2016 so it was a case of giving up that trip as well mm-hmm. um and also I hadn't I hadn't met my colleague so it was it was quite a lot of unknowns mm-hmm. and I'd never really I had worked for myself before but never kind of to quite the same extent as this would be and yeah it was there was definitely quite a lot of trepidation but also it seemed like the most amazing opportunity ever to just be given this problem and the opportunity to look at how to solve it you know one that affects pretty much every mm. single person in the world there's so few things that unite every single person but every single person needs the toilet yeah you can't get away from that and <laughs> to say you know nearly half the people in the world don't have access to a proper toilet we can look at how to solve that problem mm-hmm. that's amazing i couldn't really say no to that so. And was there, uh, we briefly kind of touched on it, was there a lot of risk there or was it kind of, in terms of, I suppose, like being able to sustain yourself, like was it, mm. was there risk there to, in, in quitting your job and moving together? Definitely, yeah. Um, so our, our trustee um, said that he would give us some funding to look at it, but yeah. obviously not enough to kind of quit our jobs for. Um, <laughs> so it's very much been a process of fundraising constantly for the past two years it's it's not something that I've had much experience doing either yeah. going to people and saying you know we've got this idea and we want you to fund us to look at it just yeah. not, it's not like we're we're not a traditional charity we're not giving someone you know um a school meal and we're not building a toilet we're just we're pretty cerebral and conceptual especially we were two years ago as well when we were just kind of a research project so yeah, it was definitely quite a risk. But uh, so was would that was that then difficult trying to sell that to to funders? Like, how did you go about that? Because it must be quite difficult saying this is impacting people, but we're not building the toilets. Yeah, definitely. That's the main challenge for us. I think we're getting much much better at it. Mm-hmm. We were pretty bad, I think. Um, <laughs> it was very much just kind of believe in us as individuals and and believe that we were that we are doing what we say we're doing, but saying to people exactly that you know we're not we're not doing what we call um direct impacts we're, we're not having any direct impact on the people who we're benefiting we're kind of a, a b2b service so mm-hmm. we're we're providing a service for the charities and the social enterprises mm-hmm. and the governments that are building the toilets and we're making their operations so much better but that's quite a difficult thing to communicate especially yeah, in yeah. how did you do that how did you say well there is nothing tangible that we're actually offering but mm-hmm. If we do get the funding and we're like available and able mm-hmm. to to provide this service, how did you get past that sort of immediate response that would have been no? Um, that's a really good question. I guess we <laughs> we we had a lot of support. Um, one of our trustees is an amazing facilitator, and he's worked a lot in comms and. Um, marketing and running his own small businesses so he's had a lot of experience kind of communicating slightly difficult non-traditional messages so he gave us a lot of support on that Um, and yeah just asking people for help at every single stage so Mm -hmm. you know 
can we please just have half an hour of your time to just bounce ideas off you and you just give us some really brutal feedback on how we can mm -hmm. make this much better. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's how we've done it. Was there any brutal feedback that you've sort of <laughs> got in your mind that you thought, I wish it wasn't that brutal? <laughs> uh, I think um, there's definitely been some feedback about strengths that I have or we definitely weaknesses, actually, that I have that I wasn't quite aware of. And <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> so that, that tickled me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I think you get better at hearing that feedback, but the first time it's, it's not very nice. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but it's... But having my colleague with me as well, because we're, we're very different people, we're very different but kind of complementary personalities. So things that I tend to have as strengths, he tends to have as weaknesses and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So we kind of support each other. Perfect team, on that. if you will. Mm. Well, well like, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Not all the time. Oh, is there, is there just like disagreements then? <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. If there wasn't, there wouldn't really be any point in us working together because we yeah. just think the same things. So, yeah, we always challenge each other and... Uh, tell each other that's a stupid thing to do. <laughs> I think it works. It's good. What was it like then at the start when obviously you've, you've never met your colleague before? When you first kind of met each other and kind of introduced yourself, how difficult was it then to kind of uh, build rapport and kind of move forward with Gather? Yeah, um, much easier than I'd expected it mm. to be. Um, I don't quite know how we got on so well, but we just did. Yeah. We just kind of clicked. Um, we're, we're so different in so many ways. Our personalities are different. We're different politically. <laughs> we're different in the experiences we've had. But um, but yeah, I think that kind of that focus on wanting to generate change mm -hmm. and leverage impact was something that brought us together and. Um, this opportunity to do something really, really cool is quite a good bonding experience yeah. to have, yeah. really. What was his background then? Um, he has spent a lot of time on the India-Burma border doing some health um, health charity work and also led a really cool research project um, looking at what was the most effective kind of develop charity development intervention that you could do. Mm -hmm. um, if you were to spend, you know, £100, £1,000, a million pounds, what's the best thing that you could do with that money and he came to the conclusion that sanitation was it yeah so oh, it was wow. then that, pretty great that he yeah. got the opportunity to to work on gather yeah that's amazing yeah so i don't know where to go next um so what happened i assume to kind of kick on you had to secure that first bit of funding mm -hmm. so what happened then after you've kind of got that We've been incredibly lucky with our donors that um, they've all signed up to three-year funding commitments for us. Mm. So we're just coming, just starting the final year of um, most of those commitments. We've, we think a lot of them will carry on. We know a lot of them will carry on. Um, it's definitely kind of given us a lot of freedom, having that knowledge that we will have money coming in the next year and the next year, and a lot of... Um, it's, it's made us able to take risks and to really hone in on exactly what we should be doing. You know, it would be much safer for us to have started and said, the world needs more toilets, so we'll go and build more toilets. But we, we had the opportunity not to do that. So, so few people in life have the opportunity, I think, to really get to the nub of a problem and mm. say, I'm going to meet that. I'm not going to not going to cover everything i'm not going to go and build toilets i'm not going to build sewer lines through slums i'm just going to just really kind of find a niche and meet that niche and so and it's yeah it's given us a lot of freedom has that always been the plan or, or at any stage did you consider to potentially supply toilets to to these areas or yeah um so we started off just thinking 
probably because we were incredibly naive and ignorant mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought probably mostly not everyone is doing it right, that there must be a problem with the way that sanitation is provided and mm-hmm. we should just probably do it better. So we'll go out and we'll build some toilets and we'll build some waste management systems and we'll just do it better than everyone else. And we pretty quickly found out that that wasn't the case, really? that there are some incredible organisations doing incredible work all over the world. We learned from them. They were amazing at sharing their kind of pain points and the opportunities for them to do better. Um, and then we kind of took all of the, all of that learning, all of that feedback, and kept on coming up against this issue of data again and again and again, that mm-hmm. no one actually... That there is no map in the world which shows you where every toilet is. And if you were going to start a new organization building toilets you need to know where your markets are where where the need is Mm -hmm. so you need to have that data but it just doesn't exist all in one place so we thought you know if we if we created that map this was kind of iteration one of our of our plan then that would be an incredible resource for everyone in the world and eventually we kind of developed that and got to the point of seeing this need for a data sharing platform for the entire sector so that everyone could understand so was the idea behind sort of providing that service <coughs> service sorry um really well sort of received by other charities that were actually going out and building the toilets because obviously you were pretty much getting rid of one of their main problems so they could take your knowledge of where the toilets are and then concentrate on an area where there aren't any toilets yeah we were actually really surprised by how incredibly receptive to everything that we've done everyone has been we kind of assumed that they might be a bit um a bit resistant to sharing their data with us but it's been amazing we've gone to people and said you know we we don't really have anything to show for it yet but we would love to have your data and then we'll do something really cool with it and then we'll show you Mm -hmm. the results and people have said that sounds amazing we'll definitely do that um so yeah everyone's been incredibly receptive and incredibly generous and kind to us it's, yeah we've been really lucky we think were any of the charities almost stepping on each other's toes building two like a, t- a toilet in a place where a charity had almost just built another toilet definitely yeah and there's a lot of there's a huge amount of inefficiency in how it's done there's so much goodwill and there's so much desire to to meet this need but there's not this kind of um, coordination that there needs to be in the sector so you will see a toilet built by one organization right next to a toilet built by another organization and also you'll see one informal settlement or slum which is got quite a good supply of toilets and then half an hour down the road there's one which will have none at all and so that imbalance is really inefficient and as well quite frustrating i'd imagine like seeing not people have an abundance of toilets but more so than another place just right around the corner yeah, I think just just not being able to meet the need that there is, just this kind of this imbalance is and inequity is just it's not working for people and it needs to be better. So, did the when you were collecting that data from the other charities, were they basically just telling you this is where we have built toilets mm-hmm. or this is where we're going to build toilets or both? It's mostly this is where we have built toilets yeah. and this is how many people are using them, this is the type of toilet it is. I didn't know this before I got into it, but there's a huge number of different types of toilet, yeah. um, uh, whether they're connected to sewers or they're not, and um, whether they are gender segregated. There's huge issues around um, women's safety to do with sanitation as well because people don't tend to have toilets in their houses. So if women are walking to toilets at mm. night, then there's issues of being attacked or... Um, 
of not being able to access them properly. So mm-hmm. there's issues around um, accessibility to people with physical disabilities and uh, yeah, a whole range of different data which you can kind of collect and bring together and learn from and get really cool information from. And were there any like really obvious sort of trends when you got put that data together? Um, that's a good question. So we've only really just started doing that. Uh-huh. It's been quite a long process of actually working out exactly what we wanted from different organisations. And the main thing that we need is for organisations to be collecting the same data because kind of if someone says, oh, that toilet's broken, what does that mean? Yeah. Does it not have a door? Does it not have a sink? Mm-hmm. Does it is it full if it's not connected to a sewer? You know, there's no one really has a kind of concrete understanding of what of what broken means so just having definitions that are as simple as that and saying this is what we as a sector agree that means um is really crucial and that's kind of a big thought leadership process that we've been doing over the past year and a bit so yeah it's um it's kind of all been leading up to that and then this month we've got our first data event where we're going to be mm-hmm. bringing together a whole group of data scientists which we're really really excited about and they're going to be looking at the data that we've been given and seeing what what exactly we can learn from it so. and then from there you start to come up with a concrete solution i see yeah from there we are going to be publishing the results of that data we're going to be showing the different um inequities in provision that there is we're going to be because sh- we one of the key things that we're doing is not just showing where the toilets are but we're also showing things like topography so if if the land is really steep in one particular place population density um we want to be bringing together a whole different range of data sets things on flood risk and hydrology and um rainfall loads of things that impact where you should be building different types of toilets and what what different kind of interventions uh, will be better in particular places On the website, it says by 2020, you want to provide 15 million people in eight different cities Mm -hmm. that currently don't have sanitation. What are those cities that you're trying to target? Um, Yeah, that's a good question. So they're not completely settled yet. Um, We've got ideas and we think we know where we're going to to be going. Um, But it mainly depends on, for one where we're wanted that's the really key thing so we want to be going to where different sanitation providers are working who want to work with us we don't want to be kind of you know pushing at closed doors all the time we want to drive a shift within the sector so that people are coming to us and they're saying you're doing really cool things with data we've got this data can you show us what we can do with it um so yeah so we're going to be looking at cities where people are coming to us we've got some really great relationships with organizations working across a range of cities so some of the 15 cities are those um, and there's some kind of really influential providers within the sector who when they do stuff other people tend to follow them so we're kind of focusing on the cities where they're working in as well um, yeah I guess on the flip side as well so can you tell us where you've been collecting data from at the moment is it has it um, well, I guess to our understanding it's Nairobi uh, Kenya is that the only place at the moment or yep so Nairobi is where we have been commissioning our own data collection mm-hmm. in a slum called Mathari, which mm-hmm. is home to about 180,000 people. Um, it's, yeah, a really cool, interesting, yeah. vibrant place, um, but it has a massive need for sanitation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's 119 public toilets there, which, is, which serves 180,000 people. So yeah. it's, it's not a great sanitation situation, and also it's very mm-hmm. varied across the slum as well. Um, 
But so that's where we've been doing our own data collection. We've been training up young people there to map sanitation in their local communities, mm -hmm. which has been really, really cool. Um, we've also, so for our data dive that we're doing in a couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at Lusaka in Zambia and also Dhaka in Bangladesh. So mm -hmm. those are our kind of main focus cities at the moment. And we're doing that in partnership with a, a big sanitation yeah. provider there. I'm glad I didn't try and pronounce any of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to. I'm glad I didn't now. <laughs> Um, so you, you said just then that you, um, I guess, are getting young individuals to map or kind of go out and map the map these areas themselves. How are you going about kind of training them? So we work in partnership with a community mapping organisation mm -hmm. called Spatial Collective, who are based in Nairobi. They're amazing, and they have really incredible groups of young people in different informal settlements across Nairobi and across Kenya, actually. Mm -hmm. And they do some work across East Africa. Um, so they bring together these young people from the particular area where you want to map people who from the communities have got to be the best people to map mm -hmm. their areas yeah so, um yeah they train they give them some really great training and then send them out with little gps units and clipboards and um yeah map the kind of whatever it is that you want mm. to be mapping and and this is purely from from the research on on the website but can you just tell us the how i guess how many individuals map how many kind of areas or, or people it varies a lot um yeah. but so oh i'm gonna get this wrong so i think it's about um 12 young people mm -hmm. that are going to be mapping for us in mathari which is a mapping which is the slam that we've mapped so far mm -hmm. and we're going to be doing a kind of a new mapping exercise there um hopefully in a couple of weeks and so that's home to 180,000 people. Mm -hmm. um, it varies a lot on what you want to map. If you want to map communal toilets, mm -hmm. then that's easy. If you want to map toilets in people's houses where you have to go and talk to the people in the houses, that obviously takes a lot longer. Yeah. And so then you need more people or, or more time. Yeah. So, yeah, it varies, but they're pretty efficient, I think. And, and how do you choose those, those people to, to kind of go, go out and map? Um, that's a good question. We don't actually do that. Spatial mm -hmm. Collective do okay. that for us. So they, they use their networks. They recruit the kind of really great people that they yeah. know and do it that way. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, one thing that struck me was you said you don't want to be pushing on closed doors. Why would these places that are being helped by you say no to it? Because I think they must realise that, say, like 180,000 people when there's 120 toilets that's obviously not enough so why would they say no from their end yeah um it's an interesting one i think it's because um it's maybe a bit controversial but there's not that higher level of um, how to say this we can edit stuff out <laughs> <laughs> um, Data traditionally within the development sector has been used a lot to shame people for not doing what they said they would do. Mm -hmm. It's been used to highlight failure rather than celebrate success. So if people give us their data and we say, but wait a minute, in your 2011 strategy, you said you were going to build 5,000 toilets and you've only built 2,500. What's going on there, guys? There's, there's definitely a reluctance because of that a wariness I think mm -hmm. to share data because of that um, we very much come at it in a way that we want to leverage the work that they're doing we want to improve the work that they're doing and celebrate the amazing successes that they've had so we're trying to change that narrative and 
um, and demonstrate the power of the data that they have as well, because the the ability to get insight from the data that they have is maybe slightly limited just because everyone's so busy, they're working on such tight schedules and such tight budgets, they haven't really had the opportunity to invest in maybe the level of data literacy that they would like to. So it's a little bit of a new thing and I think maybe some people are understandably a bit nervous about um, about kind of being the first adopters of it mm-hmm. in some ways. But some people on the flip side have been incredibly open to it, which has been amazing. So you wouldn't uh, call anyone out for not building the correct number of toilets then? <laughs> Definitely not. That's not why we're there. <laughs> that's, that's good to know. Um, I was going to ask, you were in Kenya a, mm-hmm. while, a month ago maybe? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, about three weeks ago. What were you doing then? Are you allowed to say? Uh, yeah, um, I was having a lovely time. It was the- <laughs> Uh, mango season is really good in Kenya. Um, I was just meeting with our partners out there, so different sanitation providers, um, different government people who are working in the sanitation um, spatial collective as well, talking to them about mapping, just meeting with the people that we work with out there um, and just checking in on everyone, seeing how everyone's doing. That's really cool. Have you yeah. been to the other places as well? I haven't. I've never been. Um, I've been to Madagascar, where we are also going to be doing some work, but actually only on holiday. So, <laughs> I uh, yeah, I've only been to Kenya and uh, Uganda with work. That must be pretty cool, though. Uh, these locations that you've chosen, mm-hmm. um, how do you choose the slums within the within those locations? Um, is it just the areas which need the most help, or, for example, you're you're doing work in Mathari? Very good. Um, slum. Thank you. <laughs> um, why why did you choose that one? Why or, or are there are there any other slums uh, within Nairobi um, or, or within Kenya that you you're kind of looking at or looking to to look at? Um, so Mathari we started in because we have some really great um, kind of relationships with community leaders who do a lot of work there. Mm-hmm. Um, they need some really cool youth programs. And they suggested that it would be a really good place to start. So whenever we go somewhere, we always try to kind of ask people what the best thing for us to do would be or the best place for us to go, um, rather than just kind of blindly fumbling yeah. our way around. <laughs> um, it's it's the third biggest slum in Nairobi, okay. so it's quite big. The first two tend to be a lot better served by sanitation providers than mm-hmm. Mathari is, so we kind of wanted to strike a balance between somewhere that was basically easy to... Um, manage the number of providers sanitation providers that we'd be working with Mm -hmm. and somewhere that wasn't and somewhere that we could have a real impact by demonstrating the power of data in this particular area Mm -hmm. as well is that what you found with sort of the slum areas that you've gone to that the the bigger ones have been better serviced by the powers that be either in that country already or other charities and you've realized that you're better off targeting the third or fourth biggest slum in that area because that's where you have the most impact. That's a good question. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know if Nairobi is typical because Nairobi has a slum called Gibera, which is incredibly famous. This may be the wrong word, but well known. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a huge number of organisations working there. It's a, they're doing amazing work, but um, it is relatively well served. I, I don't think that there's quite such a kind of standout um, slum. In, that's a horrible way of describing it. Um, if there's 
if there's one if there's such a, a kind of imbalance between one slum and the rest of the city in other cities mm-hmm. Nairobi's grown so fast and um it's it's had so much so many people come to it it's probably not quite representative of other other cities i think in especially in africa that's awesome um i was i was thinking i don't want to go off on too much of a tangent but we've talked like a lot about the work Mm -hmm. but i'd like to know about the benefits because i was reading on your website it was saying it's not just like having a toilet isn't just doesn't have the benefit of now i can go to the toilet so could you talk us through like what are the kind of knock-on effects of having good sanitation yeah um i think that so i mentioned that my colleague did a a research project looking at what was the the best intervention that you could do Um, and one of the reasons that we focus on sanitation is because without it, nothing else really works. If you don't have a toilet, then you're shitting outside and then the area gets polluted, um, water sources get polluted. So you, if, you're, if you don't have a toilet, you probably don't have much choice in where you get your water from. You might be getting it from a river, you might be getting it from a, a tap, but either way, the groundwater is being polluted. So you're gonna get sick. Your kids are gonna get sick. You can't work, they can't go to school. Um, girls, teenage girls drop out of school when they start their periods if there's no toilet so it's just it transforms everything having good sanitation, nothing else works at all if you don't have mm. proper sanitation. It's the massive knock on effect isn't it of yeah. that's where you start and then can worry about sorting out say the schooling or the healthcare if that needs to be sorted at a later stage but it's the water and the sanitation that's sort of prime to Definitely. sorting out their mm. structure in their life Definitely, and I think that as a global society, um, we've made really great progress in in delivering clean water, but the same can't be said for sanitation at all. There's still, so I'm 27, since I was born in 1990, there's still exactly the same proportion of people in the world who don't have a toilet. So all we've managed to Mm. do is keep track with population growth. Uh, And when we're talking about sanitation, is that purely toilets or is that just in your case... Uh, so sanitation is so the toilet mm-hmm. where you collect the shit. Um, <laughs> it's the sewer line. If mm-hmm. if it's connected to one, if it's not collected to one, it will be collected in a, a pit or a bucket. So that bucket needs to be emptied. It needs to be transported. It needs to be taken somewhere. Hopefully, either it will be dumped quite often or it will be processed. And then it can be reused and recycled, which is really cool. So there's lots of people doing stuff about turning um waste into uh compost or into charcoal to kind of reduce air pollution loads of really cool things being mm-hmm. done with it and what this is a big question <laughs> what what sort of i don't know how to word it how big could the impact be if you could reach those 15 million people in terms of like not just the sanitation but everything else you've just mentioned wow um, I might have gone a bit too, <laughs> too big there. But. Well, so I think what was interesting, just to kind of add on that, you were saying that a lot of slums um, are very inefficient in their, I guess, sanitation. Um, and you can prioritise certain slums before others. But ideally, every slum would, I guess, be serviced correctly or, yeah. or kind of more efficiently. So I guess that's kind of adding on to your question of, surely it's endless, the, the kind yeah. of impact of it hopefully yeah, in the future it's quite a statement but kind of everywhere will be 
properly will have the have the correct sanitation yeah. and the correct services for that. It's the dream. So, <laughs> that is, the that dream. is a we've big gone, question. We've, though, yeah. we've gone big time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But would you would you look to measure the effects once everything's built, or would it just be so in terms of like education or uh, disease or whatever we've just talked about? Would you look to measure those effects as well afterwards? We would love to do that. Um, it's something that the sector maybe doesn't have. That there aren't. There's a lot of estimates around mm-hmm. how many days of school kids yeah. miss if there's if there's good sanitation and how um, the amount of economic efficiency that's lost per year due to poor sanitation. Um, it's not. There needs to be a lot more research into it. And there's a lot being done, which is really exciting. So once that happens, we would definitely love to plug our data into that and work out exactly what the impact has been. But for now, it's quite a difficult thing mm. to do. Yeah, um, it's getting a bit a bit far ahead of things. <laughs> I, just, I just thought it was an interesting one. It's good to have dreams. Well, exactly. There it is. So, Lindsay, what would you say on a personal level that you find most rewarding? Is it when you go out to these places and see the impact that you are having and that you could have in the future? It's it's a few different things actually. It's um, I think that's definitely one part of it. I think because we don't build toilets, I don't feel like I can really take responsibility for <laughs> the kind of impact of a new toilet on someone's life. But but just getting to know people and understanding their stories and their experiences, the most fascinating and exciting bit of of any job I think and the fact that I get to go to these incredible places and and talk to people and really try to understand their stories on a very basic level is is amazing and yeah I love doing that um so yeah that's that's definitely a a really great bit of it I also love being my own boss and I love Mm -hmm. doing the problem problem solving part of what we do and I love working with a huge range of people and getting advice and mentoring and support from incredible experts all over the world who just are amazing. Um, yeah, there's it's just so many, many amazing bits to it, really. It's quite... It's a real privilege to be able to do it. Um, I had a question, but I've completely forgotten it. But I've, <laughs> because I've just been looking at these notes and that Henry's written... And it says, what is Geovation's role in, in the development? So I was going to ask you <laughs> what, what that means and could you... Ask me that. Well, no, 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 but I don't want to ask you the question, but it sounds like it's interesting, but I don't know what it is. Uh, and this, again, this could be completely wrong. Um, this is geographer to geographer. Um, <laughs> I, was just, I basically just Googled Geovation mm-hmm. and is that the, the data? Um, are they a company that collects data? How do they, they or what's their role in, in it? They are the Ordnance Surveys Data Hub. Okay. So they are an amazing accelerator program mm-hmm. and co-working space in Clerkenwell. Um, they give us office space and have given us just the most amazing support. Um, we have had support from their some of their designers and their developers, and um, yeah, they've just been amazing. And they're also we're working on them, working with them on a crisis hack that they're doing at the end of April where mm-hmm. lots of different teams of people are coming together to look at how we can use technology to solve some of the biggest problems in the world. This year it's going to be sanitation, which we're really, really excited about and we're 
kind of leading with them on that. Um, mm. So yeah, Geovation are just one of our um, pro bono partners and they're incredible. I, I thought, I've just misinterpreted what that was. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Geovation was like a thing. Do you know? <laughs> yeah. Because it sounds like, like a, it could be a, a term, thing. Like, yeah, like a term. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> That's my bad. I sound like an idiot now. Yeah, it? it was more of like a... A personal cue, if I'm honest with you. I thought um, it was, but I but thought I because you did geography, you knew about some kind of no, geovation. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, well, there you go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Smoothly <laughs> done, West. Good, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really, being really clever there as well. Yeah. Have you remembered your question? No, I haven't. Super. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah. How can our listeners go about helping the movement? Do they donate or do they donate to the charities that you help? Does it... The movement. Yeah. I like that. Um, <laughs> was that off here as well? Yeah. <laughs> off Henry's notes. <laughs> but I'll take credit. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyone can donate to us if they feel like we're a good fit, which I think we definitely are. Um, go to our website and there's a link there, gatherhub.org. Um, also, you can donate to any of one of the incredible charities that and social enterprises that we work with as well. Um, there's a whole range of them and we're going to be promoting more of our partnerships over the next couple of months so we're really excited about that um as well one of the best things about my job is the fact that I know so little but somehow managed to get through it because so many people give their time and their energy and their expertise to us every single day so we have some amazing advisors from a whole range of different um, areas and backgrounds. We've got a guy called Ed Parsons who works at Google, who's kind of a celebrity in what we do. And we went to see him the first time and said, you know, we'd love to get your thoughts and feedback. And we were just so excited to be in the room with him. And then he asked how he could help us going on. And I kind of had just a complete fangirl moment and, <laughs> and asked him to join our board and he said yes which was the most exciting thing ever so just people like Ed and all of our other advisors who give their time are amazing um, the data dive that we've got coming up in a couple of weeks there's going to be some data scientists there who are all volunteering their time it's just amazing that people people give up their time and their um, their energy to what we're doing I think it's incredible and I'm incredibly grateful for it every single day because it makes my life a lot easier and also we can do anything that we do without it so yeah. so I was going to touch on that actually but you kind of covered it how do you think you've um, I find it kind of incredible that you've managed to sort of learn all this and know all this information if you didn't know anything about it before you know I'd I don't really know. That's not a question. <laughs> I'm a nightmare. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, just put that in as a statement. <laughs> yeah. um, um, one thing I was going to ask was, um, you kind of keep referring to this, <laughs> sorry, you keep uh, referring to this data dive. Uh, data dive, that's mm-hmm. what it is, yeah. Um, so what, what is the purpose of this, of this kind of uh, collection of data or gathering of data scientists? What, what is the kind of the aim aim for this event? Um, so it's going to be looking at two different data sets. Um, one for Lusaka in Zambia, one for Dhaka in Bangladesh. They were both recently. It was a toilet census that was done in both cities, okay. where they surveyed every single toilet in a particular area and asked the people who um, owned the toilet lots of different questions about them. 
Um, and it's really understanding how we can improve the standard of sanitation in particular areas. So is there a big problem with toilets not being emptied because emptying services aren't available? And if so, how do we encourage people to start up businesses emptying those toilets? There's massive opportunity to start up really cool new toilet emptying businesses. It's maybe a bit niche, but <laughs> there is this opportunity and it's a, a real need that people have to have their toilets emptied you know if there's if there's a flood in a particular area the water table rises and all of the shit comes out of the toilet and disease is spreads everywhere and it's a it's a, not an acceptable situation for people to be living in just because you know someone hasn't highlighted the opportunity the business opportunity mm -hmm. to go and empty toilets so we're going to be looking at the all of the different data that was collected um, there's about 10,000 toilets surveyed in Lusaka, which is really, really cool. I'm really excited about it. Um, and I can't remember how many in, in Dhaka, but we're going to be yeah looking at all of the data that was collected on them and understanding the opportunities to improve the standard of sanitation in both areas. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess that's... Um, uh, we kind of covered it earlier, but are both of those um, locations confirmed? Or is this kind of looking at prioritising which one to kind of tackle first? Those locations are both confirmed mm -hmm. because the data has been collected already by different sanitation mm -hmm. providers. So um, one of our kind of key um, findings from our whole research process was that there's so much data being collected by different organizations. It's all kind of variable in its quality sometimes, mm -hmm. but it's never brought together in one place. And if it was brought together in one place, then we'd actually understand what was going on in a city. But mm -hmm. instead, we've just got, you know, one organisation has got funding to do this amazing mapping exercise in one particular area of a city, and then another organisation does one somewhere else. But no one ever brings that data together and actually says, what can we learn about this city as a whole? What can we learn about this country? What can we learn about this area? So that's what we want to do, is bring that data together from different organisations to understand the kind of broader sanitation standard. And, and am I right in thinking that um, Gather have created their own index for sanitation levels? That is a goal that we are working okay. towards. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's going to be another question for our data scientists at a later point as well. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just going to be basically a way to compare the standard of sanitation across different areas. Mm -hmm. Is there anything similar out there at the moment that does that? Or are you plugging a gap? We think we are plugging a gap, yeah. yeah. Um, that's something that we've tried to do across our entire process, really. We've, um, we've never wanted to do something that someone else is already doing because mm -hmm. there's no point. We don't want to be wasting money or time or energy if someone else is better able to do what we're doing. So we've really tried to meet a need that isn't being met currently. It's, it seems a bit weird to me that this hasn't... Not to knock gather or anything. Like it <laughs> no, it does, seem does seem weird that this hasn't been done, you know? Because it sounds obvious, like, if two organisations are collecting the same or similar data in two areas of the same, the same city, it seems weird that they haven't sort of put that together. Definitely. And, um, yeah, we asked that question pretty constantly for the first kind of year, I think, just really checking that no one else was doing this. Mm -hmm. But it's just... It's reflective, I think, of how hard people are working and how hard they're focusing on exactly what they need to be doing. Yeah, of course. But there isn't always the opportunity to say, to step back and say, this is what we need 
kind of across all different organizations. Some people do have the opportunity to do it, but most people don't because they're so they've got to be so effective, so efficient with the funding that they get that they don't they can't kind of step back and envision what else might be possible yeah. maybe. I suppose it's probably easier if there's five people in one country or one city building toilets that they don't have to do that themselves that you can then come in and sort of provide the data because yeah. like you say if they've got to just focus on the toilet building for example they probably don't have time to start mapping out every toilet in the city I would assume definitely yeah and they shouldn't have to it, yeah. if, they're, if they're incredibly good at building toilets they shouldn't have to really understand geospatial data sets it's, it's a different skill and they should be able to focus on what they're best at Awesome. Would you say technology is the main thing that's allowed you to do this? Because without technology, it's almost impossible, isn't it? That's a good question. I consider myself to be pretty technologically illiterate. I don't think I have a very good understanding of technology. I'm really trying to learn. But my assumption generally has been that the technology will be able to do what I need it to do, that it does exist. And so far, that's kind of been right maybe because I haven't dreamt very big but um it's definitely been a facilitator but it's not everything it's the problem not the problem the challenge always is is people you need to persuade people that what you're doing is valuable and you can have the most exciting tech in the world you can have robots and whatever but if you can't get people to buy into your message then it's all worthless yeah I suppose that's even more important when you're getting trying to get people to basically fund this entire project as well definitely yeah definitely all about the people there as well yeah would you say the main thing that the main reason that the whole sanitation crisis resonates with people so well is because everyone realizes is how essential it is to have sanitation and a toilet because henry over the last couple of days you haven't even had a running water mm. supply yourself at your house no i think it's something we take for granted there's there's an issue at the moment with southeast water um since the storm and the snow yeah oh, and, they're, and they're fixing it at the moment but we have, we've been out of water any running water for the last three days i think um and we're like in comparison to sanitation crisis wherever you're you're working it's, it's obviously nothing um but you really do take it for granted it's amazing how much running water and kind of sanitation really does help i guess help every day today and kind of on the flip side yeah we're certainly struggling i won't go into details <laughs> it was but really it, good timing wasn't it yeah. like, to happen before this conversation yeah, yeah, I've, been, yeah I've been showering at my friends houses and yeah no water <laughs> yeah, stop there mate stop there <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think it is something you do just take for granted, massively. Yeah, yeah. Going for toilet, though, you know, it, I just find it weird because that, even, I think even more so than, than water, like you speak about water and you think that's critical to exist. But I don't think, unless you were kind of made aware of it, you'd think, oh, to actually survive, I need, I need a good toilet that works, you mm. know. I think yeah. that's kind of, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought about it before this, if I'm honest. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing though. You don't until you have to, yeah. and when you have no running water for yeah. three days, then yeah. you have to think about it. Yeah, yeah, force them, force yeah. to think about it. In fairness, we have had to think about it as the three of us because in two thousand and ten we went to India, and ah, so that was okay. a bit of a challenge and a bit of an eye opener. Mm. And I think, although we realised how important it was, and we were up mountains without anything but but a 
tent and a hole. Um, we sort of forgot about it, really, which is like really sad because it was a massive impact, and we, like the whole trip was so inspiring, and it was an eye opener. And then we get back and we sort of fall back into the same habits so and forget about yeah. it again. And then like the appreciation of a toilet disappears because we get used to having one again. And I think that's the massive thing that our lives could be so much like so different. And you see comic relief or children in need, and then you go, Oh look at these people, how unfortunate they are and then by the next week you've forgotten about it again. And yeah. I think that's the really sort of key thing for charities in general, that you've got to kind of keep reminding them just because the program's finished, the problems haven't just gone away. But yeah. yeah, I think that's really fair. Have you ever found any frustration because of it? Like people say, oh yeah, that sounds really great, and then don't really help. I, I think that's, that does happen. I've never been frustrated by it. I think it's... When you work for a charity, you kind of just... People have their own priorities. There's a million and one things that need sorting out problems that need helping and you can't just assume that yours is the you know the cause that will hit home for someone most of all even if even if it is a pretty basic fundamental thing um it's yeah I think I think you've just got to respect people's focus and willingness to to give their time or their money or whatever it is to to the cause that they feel most strongly about so yeah I don't I don't know if I've ever felt frustrated by it but um more sounds a bit wet but just more more grateful when people do decide to go with us I think I suppose it comes with the territory doesn't it and also raising awareness of a problem in this country which we don't have I suppose that makes it all the more difficult doesn't it Mm. I guess we're a bit more distant to it all yeah, definitely. Um, I've got a, a question about the future, mm-hmm. and this might be a bit far-flung um, and kind of looking into the stars a bit. Um, but surely, essentially, you're kind of developing a, a platform to kind of collect this data. So, in theory, this could be used on any industry. Is that something in the future that you'd be open to, to looking at, moving away from sanitation, or is your kind of sole focus on sanitation? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, currently, our sole focus is on sanitation, we're really tying into the sustainable development goals as well. So that is um, aiming to get a proper working safe toilet to everyone in the world by 2030. Currently not remotely on track to do that. Mm -hmm. But as I said before, sanitation ties into so many things. It ties into how many days kids, especially teenage girls, are missing of school. So if you've got data on on that, then you can learn so much about... um, about education levels in different areas. Mm-hmm. So for the moment, we're focusing on sanitation just because it's so fundamental, it's so basic. But no, we absolutely see that we would love to spread out to looking at cities, looking at um, clean water, looking at a whole range of other things, women's empowerment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sanitation is just the beginning. Yeah, it's, it's all very exciting. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That was a good mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. It's like got big, big repercussions. Mm-hmm. Um, Ah, yes. So He's remembered I, it. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to know, uh, you've worked in a few different charities and done a few different things. Is this the most excited you've been about a job role? Oh, wow. Um, gosh, I don't know if I'm a bit... If I kind of have slightly short time horizons, maybe. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I tend to live a bit 
I don't want to say I live in the moment. That sounds grim. <laughs> I, I have. I think I've been pretty fortunate that I have had incredible moments in every job I've done, and there are a lot of them in this job. Mm-hmm. Um, the first job, first internship I did out of uni was at an organisation called Restless Development, and they are amazing. And I got so much opportunity to. Um, run different campaigns and do a lot of fundraising and learn from amazing people and so yeah it was I think I've had amazing opportunities in every role I've done and I think part of that probably is asking for them and kind of putting myself forward but also it's it's having people believing me enough to say yes we will let you do that. Would you say that your age and being quite a young female has helped it in any way has it changed perspectives or how people have seen you have they almost not believed you or your age been a positive because they've gone oh she's really passionate about it and there's a lot of legs in where the charity could go would you say that's helped or sometimes been a disadvantage um it's varied it depends on the person I think a lot um I think definitely being a woman has given me a particular perspective um in international development it's very female heavy in sanitation it's slightly more male heavy in technology obviously massively male heavy there's quite often I'm the only woman in in my office or especially in our old office when we had some office space donated I was the only woman there and that was a very very different working environment um in terms of age I don't think I've ever noticed anyone being affected by it. Maybe they have, and I just haven't noticed it. Um, I think, I think, well, so we've just started recruiting for some new trustees. We want some new trustees to join our board. And one of the things that I've been really, really keen to do is to get more diversity on our board because I don't think it's acceptable for us to have a all-white, male, straight mostly middle-aged, if they'll excuse me for saying it, bored. Um, <laughs> I want to get some different perspectives, some different backgrounds, some different personalities on there. And it's been really interesting. I felt really passionately about it, really tried to get a diverse range of applicants, but it has been mostly white, straight, male, some middle-aged applicants that we've had. And I, I, I'm really keen to work out what it is that I can do personally to get more people who aren't white straight male people to um, to get involved in what we're doing. We've had some amazing women apply. We've had some amazing people from different backgrounds, different ethnic minorities apply, different sexualities. Um, but it, but by and large, they have been a minority, and I think it is incredibly important that we do get that diversity of, of personalities and experiences and, and backgrounds on our board. And I've noticed it, even though I'm obviously pretty kind of privileged in terms of my background and being white and um, being females, it does, it does definitely impact my perspective on things and how people treat me, but it's not, it's not enough for me. I think we need to do more. Sorry, that probably wasn't really answering your question at all, but I just went off on one of it. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it, it, 
gender definitely impacts how I do my work and how I am perceived in the relationships that I build. Um, and it probably benefits the charity, obviously, because there's so many more issues that, especially with the clean sanitation and girls starting their periods, like you said, mm-hmm. whereas blokes can understand that there's going to be a drop-off. We, we don't really understand what it's like to go through that, even in, a, in the Western world where you've got everything on hand. Yeah, but, definitely. Yeah. But also I think if you've got a group of people that are all the same, you don't get innovation from mm. that. You need to have diverse people you need to have people challenging each other and having different ideas and if you've just got a, a room of people who were all exactly the same you're never going to get anything new happening yeah do you think it's difficult to get how hard is it finding like a balance between people that i don't know if this sounds bad or not but um uh, having a diverse board and then having also a board of people that are going to be able to like fully contribute to, to what you're doing so a kind of balance between getting the best people and... And, yeah, having a diverse world, yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely a challenge, but I think it's just a question of framing what you're looking for. Yeah. So you... The best person... That's that's not a set thing for me. The best person is going to be someone who who creates a balance. Mm-hmm. So, I'd, as I said, I don't, I don't want a board of... I have, I have two board members at the moment who are amazing they're very very similar and i think having someone to balance them out is crucial because otherwise they'll send us off in a particular direction that maybe we don't need to be going in yeah so it's it it's definitely a balance yeah but it's it's completely fundamental for our success i think i think that was a bit of a redundant question because i suppose the best person isn't always the same person is it that's the point of what you were saying well it is but it's also the kind of key question around how you hire in a diverse way you have a diverse hiring strategy because you know the flip side to saying we need diversity is is to say well what if the person the diverse candidate isn't the best one but for me i think they are because their diversity yeah makes them that makes sense best for us yeah that's really cool actually good way to look at it so sort of moving towards the end of, of the episode um, we always ask our guests a question uh, <laughs> be prepared and Great. that question is it's another big one <laughs> yeah. what would be the key bit of advice you would give to uh, a young person not necessarily looking to start their own business but follow their own goals in life what would be your key key bit of advice um, oh can I can I have two yeah, really? you can have as many as you want. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, Henry's a stickler for the rules. <laughs> um, so one of them is ask for help whenever you need it, mm-hmm. I think. Assume that it's... Don't be embarrassed if you don't know stuff. It's. Um, I think that there's a bit of a... We live in a culture where bullshit is encouraged, but I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. I yeah. think it's okay to say, I didn't actually quite understand that, or you know way more about that than I do. Tell me about it, because I'd love to learn from you. And people, if you come to people like that, people will yeah. help. Or in, in my experience, maybe I've just been really, really lucky, but people have always helped. And if they haven't, then they're probably not the right person to help you anyway, because exactly. they don't have time. They They won't be worth your time either um 
so yeah ask for help wherever you need it I think is is really key but the flip side of that is also knowing when to say no to things so if you say if if you meet someone really interesting it happens to me a lot and someone says oh I think it'd be really interesting for you to meet this person and you should definitely I'm going to introduce you and you should definitely go and meet with them knowing when to say actually there aren't enough hours in the day for me to follow up on all of those links and I need to prioritize the ones which which I'm which are going to be best for us as an organization for me for me personally if it's about professional development or mentoring knowing when to say I need to I need to prioritize certain things even if that's my own my own time, my own mental health, my own whatever it is, being able to say no to things is as much of a skill as anything else, I think. That's some awesome advice. It's almost as if you had it rehearsed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so just to quickly wrap up, I think, uh, first of all, I'd like to say, could everyone go and check out Gather? Uh, What's the website? Uh, www.gatherhub.org perfect and check it out go and donate we'll all donate great thanks very much (laughs) now you both have to Um, (laughs) yeah yeah the work is amazing and Lindsay thanks so much for coming on because I think it's definitely opened my eyes to a lot of this stuff Um, and also the work is just amazing so thank you very much thank you I've been Tom West I've been Henry Martin and for as long as I can remember I've been Ross Jeffries thank you thank you Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to session number six of the Ball Sessions, where we were joined by Lindsay Noakes of Gather. Please leave a rating and a review on the podcast. A five-star review goes a long way for us trying to kickstart this podcast. Please be sure to follow us on social media. That's on Facebook and Instagram at the Ball Sessions. And you can also drop us an email on theballsessionspod at gmail.com. See you later. The bow is a shot.